Gosling there. Big love. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, joined by Nevna Sparovska and Kaya Mercedes on today's show. And Nevna joins me in the studio. Welcome to 3CR. Thank you, James. On the airways and in person, it is an absolute pleasure to be back here. It's so great to see you and it's so great to have you face-to-face in the studio. I have been loving your work, been loving interviewing you online during the pandemic and over the phone in the studio, but it's great to have you here. It's amazing if I told you all the places that we've spoken, in the car, in my bathroom, online, but there's no place like home and home is here at 3CR. So amazing just to connect in person and just to be able to look you in the eyes makes all the difference. The Pride Lobby, of course, is gearing up for the state election. It's a happening thing at the end of November. Uh, What can we expect from the lobby during the campaign? So at the moment, we're currently reviewing the survey results. Uh, We surveyed members of our community throughout July and August to understand what their priorities were to help inform our state election campaign. So we had approximately 350 responses with a fairly even representation of men, women, gender non-binary people and a fairly even split amongst sexualities as well. And to me, there weren't many surprises in the data. Community members ranked the top three policy areas as being funding for LGBTIQ plus health service providers, addressing the backlog of gender affirming health care for trans and gender diverse people, and also funding LGBTIQ plus mental health services. We also asked community members to highlight and really communicate to us what was happening in their local communities, and you really get the breadth of concerns that we have across the state. So some of those other issues included continuing the path to treaty, access for young trans and gender diverse people to healthcare, increased wages, better conditions for funding for teachers, healthcare, nurses and hospitals, and even recreational marijuana use. So what that really really tells me is that our community responders are incredibly engaged with issues that sit outside legislation and policy areas that directly affect us. So what should the government be announcing for our community? What what policies do they really need to fix? What funding announcements do they need to basically make during the campaign? We would love to see a continuation of some of the good work the government's done across the budget. So you would remember earlier this year, the government announced $14.7 million for LGBTIQ plus communities. But we highlighted that approximately 50% of that was going to LGBTIQ pride events, parties and festivals. And while I'll never say no to a party, we really need a critical investment in LGBTIQ plus health and mental health directed to LGBTIQ plus community controlled organisations. These are the organisations who know and understand our needs, who are responsive to them and can create rapid fire responses like how we've seen Thorn Harbour Health really lead in Victoria with monkeypox information and vaccination. So it sounds like the mental health system, which I know has been reviewed by the Royal Commission, it sounds like the system isn't LGBTIQ specific enough and and therefore isn't attentive enough to the community's needs and there's a shortfall in funding. Is that fair? That is fair to say, and really it's about the opportunity to expand some of the services that exist in Victoria. Here we're very lucky to have services like Switchboard that can do the intake of LGBTIQ plus people who are experiencing hardship, who are experiencing suicidal ideation, and I will never stop praising them. We also need an increase in mainstream organisations who have things like rainbow tick accreditation, But really, the bottom line is we need more investment in LGBTIQ plus community controlled responses, organisations and specific programs. Because the more we spend time propping up organisations with uh, things like Rainbow Teak, the less time we're directly investing in LGBTIQ plus critical infrastructure. So give it to the organisations who are the experts that, you know don't really need the rainbow tick or have them anyway because that's their core business. Focus on them. Exactly. And that's where we're seeing results. That's where community members report feeling the safest. That's where these services are inclusive, welcoming and understanding of needs. And that's where trans and gender diverse people report feeling the safest when they access service. 
we already have a mental health crisis in our community. That is not new. What is new is the opportunity for the Victorian government and other parties to really harness that and the power that they have to make a positive difference in our lives. So what legislative reforms should the uh, major parties and the, and the minor parties be, be focused on? We would love to see reforms in the anti-vilification space. There's a great report sitting on the desks of government about how we can tidy up that anti-vilification legislation. We saw earlier this year that we're banning hate symbols, so you'll no longer be able to fly the Nazi flag in Victoria. There's some other great recommendations coming out of that report that we would love to see the government pass and spend some focus on. That report was bipartisan, so that's really something that we're going to be focusing on, speaking with candidates, speaking with parties, and speaking with ministers about getting movement on. Of course, the Liberal Party has a lot of uh, fences to mend with the LGBTIQ community, especially following the federal election campaign with the vilification of trans people. Uh, what should Matthew Guy be, be focused on to, to build those those bridges? We have a shadow minister for equality and that's fantastic that we are the only state that has not only an LGBTIQ plus commissioner, a minister for equality, an equality branch and a shadow minister. So really working with and empowering and resourcing James Newbury to be able to hear the concerns from our community and put forward a policy platform from the Liberal Party that has LGBTIQ plus uh, policy areas. I'd love to see what they look like from the Liberal perspective. So that's really an area of focus we feel that can be amplified. And of course, you will be surveying the political parties closer to November and and kind of rating them, I guess, on queer issues? We're actually taking a different response this year. So we're going to be putting forward our recommendations and doing some direct action by speaking to our candidates' politicians and parties and asking them to endorse those. So really seeking to build a coalition of support across all political parties because we know the in the Victorian upper house plays such an interesting role in how legislation is passed in this state. We feel that the community is going to vote the way it votes and that's something that we really picked up in our report and love to touch on as well. Well, yeah, I mean, the way the upper house is structured in Victoria, it's quite likely minor parties or perhaps even independents as well will hold the balance of power. That's incredibly significant when you're passing legislation. It is indeed. And that's why we really have to understand who is in the upper house. And perhaps this would be interesting for any candidate in any party that's listening in. As part of our survey, we also uh, assess some of the voting behaviours of LGBTIQ voters. And most importantly, over 92 of those respondees said they strongly agreed or agreed that LGBTIQ plus issues influence which political party or candidate they vote for. Nearly 93% told us that they're less likely to vote for political parties that don't visibly support LGBTIQ plus communities. And this is the one that I'd like to put headlines around. 95% said that political parties who have robust policies about LGBTIQ plus communities are more likely to get their vote. That is so interesting because I imagine the major parties with their huge resources, their polling's picking up on the same thing. And we would love to see that reflected. So we had the Greens recently launch their LGBTIQ plus platform, and we're really looking to see that from other parties and candidates. Even if it's a one-person party, if it's a minor party, there is still a platform that they can put out for our community to be able to assess them on because we know they're engaged and we know whether they're going to be basing their vote on it. So it's a growing constituency and it's a growing constituency with its influence over government and clearly that polling conveys that. Do you think that we will see queer issues becoming a mainstream policy focus in this state election more so than any other Victorian state election? It's going to be interesting because we just have such a different political climate than what we did four years ago. So we have a very... uh, uh, the landscape, I'm not sure that 
queer issues are going to be front and centre, but I think queer voters are going to make their voices heard. I was just contacted today by two members of the uh, Victorian Pride Lobby who are going out and having private conversations with their local candidates to say, these are the issues that we want you to advocate for. And no surprises, it was LGBTIQ plus mental health and LGBTIQ plus wellbeing that were the top two that wanted to take in. It's going to be so interesting to see how the parties respond. Of course, we're going to see a large number of LGBTIQ candidates in this state election. I know that's an area the lobby has championed. Uh, You've been nurturing candidates. What can you tell us about the candidates who will be running who are openly queer? We are going to be collecting for the first time the most robust data set on candidates who identify as LGBTIQA plus as part of our It Takes More campaign. So that's going to involve contacting, emailing, and let's be honest here, sometimes harassing people to see if they would feel comfortable sharing that data with us. Over successive elections, we want to be able to track whether parties are putting up candidates, queer candidates in winnable seats, whether they're putting up queer candidates from certain segments of our community to ensure equal representation across our letter rainbow, and to really understand where better resources needs to be placed. We released a report last year called Breaking the Rainbow Ceiling, looking at the experiences of lesbian, bisexual and queer women running for political office. And one of the five recommendations that we put forward is there needs to be more visibility, more pathways and more support around queer candidates standing, especially if they occupy another intersection like disability, First Nations or being a person of colour. It's so interesting because when Daniel Andrews did his last reshuffle, we got two openly queer MPs elevated to the ministry. To what extent do you think that was because of the lobby highlighting that need? I'm going to say 100%, but I think that uh, comes off the back of the incredible work that Harriet Ching has been doing. She has been an advocate for our community. She has stood up every single time there's been a piece of legislation. She has campaigned for it. And you can see that passion. It's not just a story to her. That's her life story. And that has come through loud and clear. And Steve Demopoulos as well. He has been a great advocate for mental health. And to say not one, but two, but I'm going to add the only two out queer people in the Victorian Parliament elevated is excellent. We need more. We need more rich diversity in our parliament, full stop. We need more queer representation in our parliament. So is that going to happen in the state election this year? Are we going to see more uh, queer candidates pre-selected by the Labor Party and the Liberals? Like, can you do you have any confirmations about that? We, we're still awaiting uh, a lot of responses to our data. So once that data source has been completed, we would love to share that with you. But at the moment, we have seen quite a few, um, perhaps not surprisingly, from the Greens Party come forward with queer candidates. But really, we want to see that full picture about which parties are running queer candidates and most importantly, where are they running them? Well, what do we know, though? Like, who, who, who is confirmed? Can you give us any names? I mean, obviously, the two ministers are running again, but... Who are the the Libs and Labor putting up? You don't know yet. Can I just say, I have worked on multiple elections, uh, both as an advocate and someone who's previously worked in a political minor party. I've never seen an election be so slowly announced. Usually we'd be having campaign elections, we'd be having announcements. But at the moment, there's still not a campaign page uh, for Liberal. Uh, sorry, for Labor candidates. The Liberals have put up some of their candidates. The Teals still haven't announced. Fiona Patton still hasn't officially announced that she's running. So the, it's an interesting atmosphere that this campaign doesn't feel like it's really taken off just yet. Is that fatigue? Because we just had the federal election. It seems like five minutes ago. It was in May. But is is that because that campaign was so exhausting? Do you think? I definitely think so. And I think it's had a huge impact on the political environment and that readjustment of government always takes time. So it will be interesting to see when it's finally going to take off and when we're going to get the full candidate announcement from all parties. I mean, look, if you look at the polling, and I'm sure that the Liberal Party and Labor clearly see this, that queer voters are very focused on queer issues. It's a no-brainer then that probably it's a good idea for them to have queer candidates. They seem to be keeping their power to dry though so can we expect do you think say october in october kind of like you know a rush of queer candidates being announced 
Very interestingly, and I refer back to our survey data, one of the points that we asked people was whether having an LGBTIQ plus candidate influenced their vote. 65% told us that it did, but it came with a lot of feedback. There was an open um, answer question that people could reply. And they said it's not necessarily that they're LGBTIQ plus. They need to have policies that align with their own values. So, for example, one person uh mentioned the fact that Tim Wilson they wouldn't vote out of they wouldn't vote for Tim Wilson because their values don't align with his so it's an interesting question about wanting to see more queer representation but clearly they want to see a value alignment as well yeah, I mean, historically, I think, you know, the parties perhaps were bitten when they put queer candidates up and they've done very few because the response from the other parties would be, oh, we're putting up a candidate for all of us, you know, which reeks of homophobia and yeah. queerphobia. But I think that's had an impact on the political culture, but it really sounds like we're shifting away from that. Thank goodness. Slowly but surely, and this is another uh, thing that we picked up on in our Breaking the Rainbow Ceiling report, is that really you need that pipeline of candidates. You need people who are queer people who are experienced, who've worked on elections before, who have clear mentors, who see themselves reflected, who who can see policies, internal party policies that deal with things like homophobia, discrimination, transphobia, sexism. Uh, candidates now want psychological safety because people are asking, why should I put myself, my family, my story on the line if my party's not going to protect me? So that's a really interesting takeaway from the report itself that parties really need to do more, not only to have queer candidates, but to nurture them and to make sure that that safety is there on the campaign trail because it can get vicious out there. Do you find, as the co-convener of the Victorian Pride lobby, that that political parties and certainly the government kind of like to have a direct line to you? Do you find that they kind of sound you out on policies? Like, I know you can't name names, but what's it like with government and with political parties as the the co-convener of the lobby? I have to say it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to speak with decision makers, to represent our community. But do they reach out? Do they like you? They do. They do. Uh, Usually before budgets, I'll have to say before major events, things like before budgets, before major announcements, we will get a call. We will be part of consultations. And we're one of many voices in the queer community that get to represent our um, our members and our broader supporter base. But it's it's fascinating getting inside and having the ear of politicians at certain times, not necessarily always uh, seen through, but it's good to be able to be in the mix there. So when you do media on a policy issue that needs to be acted on by the government, say, um, do you find you get a response? Do you get a phone call? Do you get an email? Uh, or sometimes do you find that they actually do what you ask? It's a, it's a mixed bag. So I can contrast something like our uh, police report. That's not necessarily something that we got the most traction on uh, within government. But I have to say Victoria Police, to their credit, engaged with us uh, for six weeks following that. We had several conversations, several meetings with people who were incredibly high up. On the other hand, we sometimes have, uh, when we put forward submissions on things like housing and homelessness, we find that they are incorporated. But then uh, we've also found that our police report was featured in a parliamentary report. So you do really see the impact of our work. And so much of that comes from representing community voice through surveys, through conversations. To see it go all the way to parliament is incredibly rewarding. I mean, you mentioned before you were critical of the last state budget insofar as the focus on parties and events. Um, How did the government react to that? We didn't receive a direct response, but I think it's part of having a constructive relationship and offering that perspective that even though that pride and celebration is integral to our community, from Melbourne to Mildura, really we want that substantive policy focus. And in a year like 2020, after two years of a pandemic, after you know just incredible hardship that so many people have felt, that investment needs to be in mental health and health. It's interesting because I would imagine it would be quite desirable for the Labor Party and for the Liberals to try and co-opt the lobby 
but it doesn't look like they've been able to do that. Just from what I can tell from your membership, you don't have um, ALP and Liberal Party operatives on your on your board. <laughs> We're an incredibly independent organisation. And while members of our committee of management might have private affiliations with political parties, our work is independent from government insofar as funding, insofar as members of our committee and insofar as the decisions we make. So what are your predictions for the election campaign? Well, looking into the crystal ball and based on the polling, it would be very difficult uh, to see a change in government, but that doesn't mean to say that we're not going to see a change in the upper house. I think that's where going that that's where it's going to be the most interesting to watch, especially the crossbench, where the only state with a group voting ticket, and that really plays an interesting role in how our upper house is selected. So whether we're going to have another Fiona Patton, whether we're going to have more representative from the Animal Justice Party, whether we're going to have Shooters and Fishers, Transport Matters, or a whole new party. It's just going to be fascinating to watch it. Well, it is, because I imagine there's going to be all these new political parties that spring up. And, of course, uh, we could have a radically different crossbench in Victoria. The concern, of course, is far-right parties, isn't it? It, I mean, it is uh, in rum regard, but I'll always say I will read your policy platform and then make my judgment. We've already had one party come and go. So there was the Victoria First Party. Uh, made a big bang crash about uh, standing for election and then folded shortly thereafter. Has the Liberal Party been reaching out, like sounding the board with the lobby about what kind of announcements they should be making during the campaign? We keep in regular contact with the opposition, uh, sh- so, sorry, the Shadow Minister for Equality, James Newbury. So it'll be really fascinating to see if there's going to be announcements from the Liberal Party about LGBTIQ plus communities and what they're going to be and whether they're going to be resourced. Well, it's going to be a fascinating few months. Nevena Sporovska, the co-convener of the Victorian Pride Lobby, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. It's been great. My absolute pleasure. And here's Blondie.
Brothers there, dig your own hole. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Up real soon, Kaya Mercedes. But in the meantime, here's Moby, rushing.
Days we remember, and Kaya joins us on the line. Kaya, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's such a great track, and it's your fourth single. How exciting! It's really exciting to be out, yeah. So, tell us what were you thinking when you wrote that track? It's quite nostalgic for such a young songwriter. Uh, tell us about the stories behind it. I wrote it about my friends and really specific memories that I have with them, like some of the lyrics. Uh, extremely explicit and things that I, I like memories I have with my friends and so I was kind of thinking about them when I wrote this song and just like how happy I am to know these people and how glad I am to have those memories that I do. That is so beautiful. How did they react to the song and when you told them it was about them? My friends all really loved it. They uh, they were all like, oh my god, you wrote a song about me. I have a song about me. They're quite chuffed about it. Um, but yeah, they, they really liked it and I'm really glad they do. It's um, such a great track. I love the guitar on it. Tell us about, like, you know, how you kind of technically wrote it, how it came together musically. Well, I wrote the chord progressions and all of the lyrics and the melodies for this song. Um, and I took it into the studio with my producer, Chris Wilson, who is a, just a genius on, like, nearly every instrument ever. And he just whipped out these incredible, like, rhythms and all these things with the guitar and the piano and synths and it just came together so beautifully it was really amazing and lots of instruments involved yes lots of instruments always (laughs) that's amazing that such a a young songwriter is able to kind of you know juxtapose all these instruments together with these kind of you know complex lyrics that you know capture so much and are quite visual as well Yeah, I do love those very more poetic style lyrics. It's definitely my thing. So tell us about the album you're working on. It's um, actually just, I just had my last session in the recording studio yesterday. So it's all being mixed and mastered at the moment and it should hopefully be our end of next month, which is extremely exciting. Oh my God, you've just finished it. Yep. 
Oh, wow. And just yesterday as well. That's really, really great. Yeah, it's very exciting. So what's it called? It's called Hindsight, and it, it definitely fits the vibe with um, the day to remember. So it's that very nostalgic, looking back feel, very much Hindsight. <laughs> and what about music videos? What's happening on that front? So I released a music video for my third single, News Resolutions, a few months ago, and I have filmed a music video for The Day to Remember, which will be coming out next weekend. Um, and it, it has all of my friends in it who this song was about and who I think of when I think of this song. And so it was really beautiful to film that with them. Oh, my God, they must have loved that. So It's like a bonus. You get a track written about you and you get to be in the music video. Yes, I'm very, very excited about it. (laughs) So tell us a bit more about the video. We filmed it on the beach. um, So I kind of just got all of my friends together. and I was like, hey, let's just hang out at the beach for a few hours and have my director, Adam Jordan, there and we'll just film this video. And we did. We just mucked around and had fun and put it on video, which turned out to be a music video. And I... Definitely shed a few tears when I watched the video for the first time. It was very beautiful. Wow. So it sounds like you made it quite quickly. Yeah, it was a six-hour shoot, um, but friends came and went, and, yeah, it's, yeah, really amazing. So what about live shows? Uh, What's happening there? I'm actually playing two gigs um, next weekend. On the Friday, I'm playing... Uh, Thrive Rebloom Festival, and then on Saturday I'm playing at the Mayor's Family Picnic, so I'm very excited for those. Oh, wow. So um, quite diverse kind of gigs. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely get a range of things, which is really cool. So that's really, really exciting. It sounds like you're doing more and more gigs. Yeah, they're definitely it's, – it's amping up a little bit, which is so fun because I love playing live at definitely one of my favourite parts about being a musician. So how do you balance your, you know, flourishing music career with still being in high school? I It's not too difficult to balance at the moment. I mean, I kind of treat it almost as an extracurricular, you know, after school I go to the recording studio, after school I go to a gig. It's Yeah, it's still pretty, pretty good at the moment. Um, but it's definitely weird telling people about it, like, oh, I'm going to play at a festival after school. They're like, what? <laughs> it really sounds like you're so disciplined. So tell us a little bit about the schedule that you went through to make the album. It sounds like, you know, pretty much every night after school for a, for quite some time you were, you were going into the studio. Like, was it just on weekends as well? Like, how did it all work? Well, we... Uh, it- I started recording the album in November last year and it was started as like once a week, we'd do like two, three hours in the studio and then kind of um, middle of this year, we were kind of like, okay, we really need to get this album done. So we started doing four hour sessions twice a week, roughly. Um, It it was pretty like irregular, but um, it was always happening at the same time. So yeah, it was, it's, I've spent a lot of time in the recording studio over the past year, but I think it's, been well worth it. Are you one of these people that's kind of always thinking about the next song? Always. I'm always writing the next song. I'm always thinking about the next song. I'm always doing production plans, writing notes. Yeah, I'm always the next thing. Wow. Tell us about production plans. How do they work? So um, I usually, when I write songs, I have pretty clear ideas of what I want. I just like have it all stuck in my head. Like I want a guitar here or I want this riff here. And um, I write those down onto lyric sheets and bring them into my producer. But my producer and I work so well together. He'll come up with ideas. I'll come up with ideas. It's definitely a mixture of both of our musical ideas going into these songs. And it sounds like you just know that you're a songwriter and that's a journey that you want to keep going on. Yeah, I love songwriting with my whole heart. I really don't know what I'd do without it. And what about instruments? Do you find yourself always wanting to learn something new? Always. I mean, if I had all the money in the world, I would have so many instruments. Like, um, I love guitars and I love my piano, but, you know, picking up a ukulele for the first time, it was like, oh, I can learn this new thing or I want to learn bass. You know, there's so much to learn. I just want to do it all. So did you pick up a ukulele recently and learn how to play it? Yeah, I'm borrowing one from a friend at the moment and I kind of just sat and Googled 
ukulele chords for a good few hours trying to write some songs. It's, it's fun learning new instruments because you can always create new songs and new sounds. So did you yeah. pick the ukulele up? Did you learn it quite quickly? Yeah, I mean, because I know piano and guitar, I kind of had a basis to go off. Um, so, like, because it's all chord formations and it's it's not similar to a guitar, but it also is. So it, it wasn't too difficult to get the basics down. So what instruments next do you think? I'd love to learn bass and I would love to get a little better at the drums because I'm really terrible at the drums. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd love to learn those too. It's so exciting. So where do you think you'll be musically when you finish school? Like, what's the plan? I would love to uh, be at least preparing to put another album out and I would love, love, love to go on tour around Australia because... I, as I said, I love playing live shows so much that a tour would just be a dream come true. Well, it's so exciting what you're doing. You've got a big night tonight. It's your school formal, yeah? Yep. I'm literally sitting in my dress at the moment. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, congratulations on the days we remember. Congratulations on the album. That is so exciting. Uh, we'll have to get you back. Uh, Kai Mercedes, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Have fun tonight. I will. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Heaven sent you to me. I'm just hoping I don't repeat history. Boy, I'm trying to meet your mama on Sunday. We'll catch you next week on your face. Jacob's up real soon with a Friday rave, but taking us out is Jebediah with Ever Ready.
In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.